Hello and welcome to episode four of Slightly Drunk and Extremely Online. My name is Colin Schulz. I am here with Sarah Klein and Mike Hanrahan. It's a reunion of our first podcast. Today we're going to be talking about algorithms. We're going to be talking about software that major online companies have created for the purposes of serving content to suspecting or unsuspecting people on the internet. So we'll start it off with what we're drinking. So I am still working my way through my local bodega's cooler of death. And today I have an ice house, 25 ounce. I don't think there's a type of ice house. I think it's just ice house. So this is, uh, to quote the can, ice brewed for a bolder taste. And yeah, I'm drinking some crappy ice brewed beer. I'm going to pray for you. you. That does not yeah. sound. Godspeed. Yeah. Godspeed. Is, is it, it as bold it, as advertised? Do you feel like you're getting a, a fair shake on that? Well, I will say that it's made in Milwaukee and it's union made. So it's okay. got that going. There you go. It. All right. It's 5.5% alcohol. So it's not quite as bad as the 8.5% monstrosity I drank the other day, which was pretty rough. But yeah, it should do the trick. Sarah, what do you got? I had a rough day at work. So I poured some Smirnoff into a glass with ice and I'm just drinking some vodka so nice (laughs) that's where we're at right now it's it's minus eight and there's a foot of snow on the ground and i had to walk a bunch of places today so i'm i just needed straight booze that's cool mike what do you got for you uh i have uh from a brewery in massachusetts called lord hobo uh this is one of their ipas called steal this can which i did not steal i actually paid for but i'm drinking that at the moment and it's quite good And I would like to wish everyone in the United States a happy election day. I forgot to note that the last pod that we recorded last week was actually on Halloween. So happy post-Halloween and happy non-midterm local election Tuesday to everyone here in the United States. So hopefully you're all getting appropriately drunk after voting. Um, So what we're going to talk about today is algorithms, as I said before. So... The basis for this topic was an article that came out a couple days ago, yesterday actually, by a man named James Brittle, who wrote a post about YouTube algorithms and the way that they serve content intended for children. Just to give a little bit of a background, this guy is a data scientist, media writer, and he has been researching how YouTube decides which videos it shows to kids after they watch an existing video, and also the trends behind what is popular among children on YouTube. For those of us who are adults who don't have children, a lot of this seems a little nonsensical and a little out there. But when you think about cartoons and things that kids grew up watching, it probably makes a little bit of sense. He has identified some of the more popular YouTube channels for children, and then watched a lot of these videos and gone a bit down the rabbit hole, both literally and figuratively, to determine how these videos are getting made. Because some of the videos that are being served to children or recommended for children or are appearing to be very popular contain some pretty disturbing content. Now, YouTube is supposed to have gated their content that they provide to children. They're supposed to determine that it's child-friendly and you can use certain settings in YouTube and the YouTube app to say, I only want to see things that are appropriate for children. But unfortunately... Because YouTube's content is moderated by algorithms and not by actual human beings for the most part, some of the stuff that comes up is very strange. Some of the examples he uses that are a bit more mundane, unboxing and unwrapping Kinder Eggs. 
Can I, can I interrupt you real, just for one? Did, did you guys watch any of those videos in that article? The unwrapping no, Kinder didn't. Eggs thing freaked me the fuck out. I don't know. <laughs> I find that shit super creepy. The videos that he links in his article go from what would be considered kind of silly, normal stuff to really weird stuff. There's another discussion to be had psychologically about why do kids like this? Is this really appropriate for kids versus other forms of entertainment? So he starts with these unwrapping videos. And where it gets interesting is that the producers of a lot of these videos have thousands of videos with millions or billions of views across many, many thousands of videos. So they're clearly deriving some sort of financial benefit from this, but it gets weirder and weirder because they start to use copyrighted characters like Peppa Pig. They start to change them in strange ways and in algorithmic ways. They create their own songs that are based purely on search terms that you would type into your browser. So you would say, I want to watch a Halloween video about going to the dentist. And many of these feature live actors, which seems normal because you say, okay, there are people producing these videos. They make sense. But the scripts, the songs, and the topics are generated based on what these companies and these producers determine is most likely to be clicked on by somebody searching it on YouTube in this particular article. And it gets really weird. You have Peppa Pig being violently abused, or there are the Toy Freaks series, Top 100 on YouTube, which features a father and his two daughters playing out various songs, various things that they think might be popular, but also borderline abusive. This father is taking advantage of his kids. The kids are crying. They're vomiting on camera. This gets extremely weird, but YouTube is showing millions and millions of views of these videos every month. All of this creates this sort of weird, icky feeling surrounding these videos where you say, okay, you know, you you put your kid in front of an iPad, you turn on YouTube, you turn on a kid-friendly filter, and you think to yourself, my child is now going to be occupied watching Peppa Pig videos for an hour, two hours. So now I can talk to my friends or have a glass of wine. But the problem is that YouTube's algorithms are saying, okay, you finished watching Peppa Pig goes out with her friends. Now you're going to see Peppa Pig crying at the dentist while a strange disembodied head floats over the video and vomits and screams. And he's, he identifies this problem. And this is, it really asks this bigger question, which is what we, what we're going to talk about today. Algorithms control so much of the content that is being served on the internet, whether it's Facebook and how they display things in your feed or YouTube and how they display related videos and things you might be interested in. Where does the responsibility lie with these companies? How much moderation and content policing do they need to do? Is that their job? Is that the job of some sort of regulatory body? Where does free speech come into all this? YouTube is at its heart an artistic platform. So Mike, I'd like to have you chime in really quickly and let's talk about the business angle of this. So Google makes a lot of money on YouTube and there's it's entirely a black box from the metrics point of view. What is Google's incentive to police this, not police this? Like, How do they look at this from a business perspective and say, is this something that we're cool with? Or what do we do? What do we do to control this problem? Yeah. So, so just to back up a little bit. So the way that Google makes money on YouTube is uh, Google serves you, um, even just not even YouTube kids, but YouTube generally. Uh, Google serves you videos. Um, and then either uh, if they're short before the video or if they're longer 
before and then interspersed throughout, it'll, it'll serve you advertisements, right? And then for most users, Google gets all of that ad revenue. Uh, if you're a larger account uh, that commands more views or subscribers, uh, you, you share a portion of that. Uh, as part of Google's model, importantly, they don't pay for that YouTube content. Contrast it with somebody like uh, Netflix, who pays Disney or Fox or you know pick a movie studio for uh, the rights to serve their content uh, on YouTube. The, the content is generally offered to Google for free. So, so and- that's their business model. So, so the risk to them here is that the reason that they like things like algorithmic categorization and, and whatnot is because it allows them to continue to use free to them content while also having as few humans involved as possible because every every other person that you have to hire is is incremental salary to, to the business which they don't want so you know what, what Google is going to try to do is is do as much as possible to not have this problem that also uh, one doesn't impact their view count negatively and two doesn't put them in a position where their content has to cost money uh, and so they had a similar issue earlier this year, which I think I might have mentioned on, on our last podcast, where they were inadvertently serving ads on hate speech videos. The companies whose advertisements were being shown uh, actually contacted Google about it and, and got really upset. And some of them boycotted and uh, it was a big problem. Yeah. And- Procter & Gamble famously pulled Procter P&G or Procter & Gamble is the largest advertising company in the United States, maybe in the world. They spend more money on advertisements. They control hundreds and thousands of different products and brands. And they pulled some money. They pulled a lot of their spend from YouTube and that made enough of a stink that YouTube actually started cracking down on where the ads were being shown. The interesting thing here is that from a detection standpoint, you know, hate speech videos and and videos showing uh, actual violence are are probably a lot easier to detect than uh, things that are disturbing in kids' videos, right? Because, you know, for one thing, I mean, you can screen out anything that isn't a cartoon, or you can block known accounts because, you know, someone who's looking to get, you know, followers for their hateful philosophy needs to build an online identity. And so they can't, you know, post from a new name every time. Whereas the the medium essay that you talked about, you know, even the author was saying, you know, it's hard to identify particularly why these videos are upsetting. It's just that, you know, as a viewer, we realize that they are, and that's hard to program to, you know, I understand that parents will get upset about this and, and rightfully so, but from Google's perspective, this is a difficult thing for them to address via their their normal means of problem solving. Right. And Sarah, this brings up a point that I think all of us have to grapple with is Google currently is not paying these content creators directly to produce this content. So they're getting content that's produced by other people essentially for free and then splitting the ad revenue with them. They've created this economy around generating this content. And clearly, these people have figured out ways to optimize that. Where is the responsibility lie? Like Google has to, how, do, how are they going to start policing this community? Like does Google, do, does Google do enough due diligence? They know who these people are, do we think? Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, that phrase too big to fail. I always think of the flip side, which is too big to regulate. I think algorithms definitely do that where they can churn out content. I mean, like obviously the videos, a lot of these videos are not, actually put together by people. They're just automated. Algorithmically automated video production. It's only regulatable if it's regulated from the beginning, I think. I mean, you're going to have a hard time shutting those kinds of things down just because no one exactly knows what is happening. <laughs> it's hard to regulate something when you don't even know who's making your videos, what's in them. I know just as an example, like as a librarian, seeing those, the titles of the videos that were just 
I think he described it as word salad. It broke my heart because you can see that that's what people just type in for searches when really, you know, I really want everyone to get good at specific searching. So just seeing these like mushy word salad titles and knowing that that's, it's not even a video about those things. It's just random words. It just, it's, it just seems so out of control. Speaking as someone who has a lot of experience with Google's advertising platform. So Google provides that information to people who are running these YouTube channels. So you create a YouTube channel, you make, you upload some videos and then Google's going to give you statistics and they're going to say people who were watching your videos also searched these other terms or here's some suggested terms or here's some iterative terms. But Google does provide a lot of analytics, in-depth, in-depth analytics on what people are looking for. Where this becomes different is because it's kids. And I think that's sort of what might be the tipping point that hopefully encourages them strongly to make some changes because these are kids now. These are people who placed in front of a screen or if they're a bit older or who are just clicking on things that look interesting and they're being subjected to things that are increasingly intense. I'm against free speech personally, but uh, you lovely people in America are super into it. So uh, anything produced on the internet and, you know, it's going to be out there. And I think regulating people's behavior that way is not a, not feasible and B probably not ethical uh, or sorry, ethical is the wrong word. I just don't think it's in line with, the current idea of the internet as a public commons to really regulate people's behavior in that way. Cause that's sort of a, what you do, you know, in the bedroom is your problem. And I guess what you do at your computer screen in your own home is your problem. And I know YouTube certainly has some algorithms that filter out really violent stuff. So yeah, I just, I know this is going to be the one time where I'm like, you have to let people watch what they want. So other, you, other, otherwise I would say no free speech. No, that like, don't, don't show anyone that shit. But when you when you're saying you're anti free speech, are you speaking more in the sort of UK terminology of like there are limits to what people can say and cannot say and and can see and can't see that are no, so, regulated. So the seeing is different. I think when I say I'm not, I'm against free speech. Uh, I I don't think any hate speech should be allowed. We we have we have strict uh, you know anti hate speech laws in Canada. You can. You can certainly be charged for saying things in this country. Sure. We, no, we no, do and, and, theoretically here as well, but they're just not particularly well enforced and they're very vague. So in, in terms of seeing though, because I also like art and I think art can be disgusting and crazy and vile, but I still think people should be allowed to look at it as long as it's not inciting hatred. That's my, this is my thing. I no. think where this gets to interesting territory is... What is our responsibility to protect A, children, and B, what is a company's responsibility based on what it puts out on its platform? Children, I think, a generally fairly clear-cut issue in a lot of places where they say, okay, children should be protected. Children are not independent actors, and they can't make these – they don't know what they're clicking on. They can't make these decisions for – for themselves, so there is some liability there. But also, if a company decides to host some really offensive stuff – is it enough to simply say, oh, hey, uh, it was reported and we took it down? Or or do they really have to take the steps to prevent that from being on there in the first place? Like, I know it's easy to call it censorship, but, you know, where is the line? Like, you know, at, at what point are we, is it okay to let these algorithms run things? And at what point does someone need to step in and say, you know what, we have to set some rules somewhere? You know what, I wish, 
you know, it's, it's so funny how some things in this day and age like have come so far and we have so many advances in so many places, but then, you know, no one's invented like requiring ID to view a website. That's and like maybe there's some technological barrier that's going to make that really really hard. But you know, if I want to look at pornography, for example, like technically you have to be 18 to do that. How come there hasn't been some you know Silicon Valley startup that's invented a way to enter your ID number online to show to prove that you're 18 or something? Does it sound stupid? I don't know. There are in my head. There's a solution where you have to prove who you are in order to view certain content because that content should be age restricted or whatever. A lot of attempts have been made to do things like that. It always runs into the economic question, which is what Mike and I were speaking about, which is there is no real motivation. Google and Facebook are purely economically driven at this point, whether they're making public statements to the contrary. And that's how these algorithms are designed. And that's how they've gotten out of hand. And I think To answer your question, there's no real financial motivation at this point for these companies to do things like that because, yeah, porn companies could create some sort of gated system and they tried that with NetNanny and they've tried all these things in the past. But until there is a strong financial or regulatory requirement, I mean, when the UK came out and said, hey, we're going to restrict porn coming into our country. Everybody laughed at it because they're like, there's how on earth are you going to do that? You know, legislators are so far behind technology. Is there a way for us? And Mike, maybe you can speak to this a little bit. Is there a way to force or at least put enough pressure on these companies where they are economically, where they're willing to compromise economics for ethics or self-regulation? Yeah. I mean, is there, is there a way to do it? Certainly. You know, I think for some of the stuff that you're asking about, but, you know, at least in the U.S., things about what they can host, I think, is pretty clearly covered under like existing case law. So I don't I don't know that, that anyone really has objections to a lot of the things that YouTube is hosting, you know, and stuff like copyright infringement. You know, again, it's not perfect, but like the, the DMCA, you know, at least has remedies for that. Right. And whether they work or not is a separate question, but they do exist. What I think is the broader issue that will ultimately need to be addressed on on this subject or related ones is what types of algorithmic decisions YouTube will is allowed to make in terms of recommending things to someone. You know, and you talked about if YouTube has found a way to convince people to see more and more intense videos because it finds that they're more likely to click on those things. Am I actually, as the viewer, am I deciding to click on those or am I being, you know, effectively tricked into those things, right? Or can they make a, a service that is so addicting and so compelling that it takes away free will? And You bring up a really good point. And this is something that I think is at the heart of the techno ethical question here with these algorithms. So advertising at its heart is psychological manipulation. And I say this as an advertiser, somebody who makes marketing copy and has a reasonable understanding of what can induce people into making particular decisions. Algorithms have, at this point, taken over the decision-making process at these media companies where now they run YouTube. They run the videos that are shown, the videos that are queued up. They run Facebook's newsfeed. They run what you see. These aren't people making these decisions anymore. These algorithms have had years to learn, and they've been programmed by people who may not even work at these companies anymore, people who may not have any an in-depth understanding of what these algorithms are doing, of how they're making these decisions because it's all become so automated. So where is the ethical responsibility from these companies? Is it psychological manipulation 
when they show your kid increasingly violent videos because they think that that's more likely to make them click on it or videos of kids crying or vomiting because those are algorithmically more likely to get clicks. Who is collecting this data and do these companies have the capacity to even really fully understand this data? You know, this isn't advertising anymore so much as this is engagement. These algorithms are meant to drive engagement, which could mean a lot of different things. Engagement is clicks, engagement is views, engagement is staying longer on a website because that's how these companies determine the effectiveness of their platforms. So these algorithms are no longer designed to make you buy a particular product or to serve you content that is the most pertinent to your interests. Their primary function at this point is to make you spend more time on these websites so much data has been shoved into these things over years and years and years that I don't think anyone really fully understands. I don't think it's possible for a team of programmers to understand how it's all working anymore. Obviously, this is an open-ended discussion and we're not going to solve anything with this, but I think it's important to bring to light or at least put in people's minds that when you are interacting with these media platforms, whether it's putting your kids in front of an iPad that has YouTube on it, or whether it is looking at your Facebook feed, there are a lot of algorithms in the background that are showing you things that the media company thinks you want to see, not necessarily things that are the most pertinent to your interests. So keep that in mind when you're interacting with media platforms that have suggested items, recommended items and links. Keep that in your mind. We are going to advance technology. That's not going to stop. Technology is going to advance incredibly quickly, quicker than any of us can keep up with it. We have to be willing to put some pressure on these companies to say, you guys have insane monopolies on our engagement and our time. And you need to put a little bit of effort and work into making sure that those are clean and safe environments to the best of your ability. On that positive note, I will give Sarah, you want a, a little bit of time to give your thoughts on it. And then Mike, you can finish it up. Uh, I just was going to say, we didn't even talk about really the content of those kids videos. And I don't mean the ones that are like horrific and terrible. I just mean the regular ones that are produced by algorithmic video production. No one knows those kinds of things do to your children. And I don't mean they're going to like make them go out and murder people, but there's got to be something about floating heads and families that are made of fingers. If you watch 18 hours of that a day, like there's got to be something. And I just worry that we're not even, if we're not even collecting data publicly about what's going on on YouTube, how are we ever going to figure out what is going on exactly? That's, that's my big concern. Yeah. The companies have this information, but I don't think they've invested enough time and resources into taking a look at it. But I think it's an important thing that someone has to do. That's a great, a great point. And spoken as the true librarian in the group, a great way to get this conversation moving in the right direction would be for these companies to open that data to researchers and to psychologists and to the medical world to get a better understanding of what exactly is going on. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I think just really broadly, the, the question on what kind of like algorithmic behavior we want to allow as a society is is important to address now because, you know, the nature of machine learning is that these will get better over time at identifying things that are compelling to humans and that may or may not take these platforms in a direction that we as users want them to go in, but it will definitely take them in a direction that is economically in the best interest of the companies involved. So, you know, I think the earlier that users and governments put some kind of guardrails around that, the better. We have spoken a little bit about algorithmic 
content creation, algorithmic data manipulation, and algorithmic media presentations. So now that we've bored you all to death with lots of machine sounding terms, uh, we're going to end it there. So thank you as always to Sarah Klein, Mike Hanrahan. Thanks to everybody for listening. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Take care.